Welcome to this episode of Portraits of Music. I'm Ross Sievertson. And I'm Clay Couturio, music director and conductor of the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. It was an honor for Maestro Couturio and me to spend two days interviewing some of the symphony's most influential leaders, musicians, and supporters. In this episode, we have conversations with Jerry and Frank Leftwich, longtime supporters of the Richardson Symphony Orchestra, former executive director of the RSO, Bonnie Perry, and RSO violist, Peggy Tucker. We're very lucky to have Jerry and Frank Leftwich with us uh, this morning. Jerry served on the Richardson City Council for quite a while, and Frank was the board chair of the RSO between 2000 and 2003, if I understand correctly. Is that right? That's correct, Ross. Well, we're excited to have you with us this morning, so thank you very much for taking time out of your day to spend with us and the listeners. Frank and Jerry, can you can you just tell us, uh, when did you first start going to Richardson Symphony Concerts? Oh, my heavens, it's 1969. Oh, wow. That's, that's quite a while. Are you all originally <laughs> from the area? No, we had moved from New York, where Frank had been in business, and uh, came to Texas, which he had been here before that, and uh, made our home safe, and we've been there all this time. And what brought you to the symphony? Did you just hear about it, or were you looking for uh, concerts to go to? It was a wonderful, uh, we love music, and it was a wonderful social uh, form uh, in order to get to know people, and we really had a good time uh, with the skits that we did. It was just a lot of camaraderie shared, and uh, that certainly helped build the symphony in its progress. And, and Jerry, you were on the Symphony Guild uh, for some time, is that correct? Yes, I was. I attended conventions, and uh, uh, we had a hard time in Richardson. We always wanted to hold the convention in Richardson, but we didn't have a hotel in which to uh, uh, host uh, the uh, convention. So uh, we had to wait a while, didn't we? <laughs> and, uh, and you were involved with several different types of fundraisers with the Guild, is that correct? Is that what you were talking about? Yes, uh, we, we had, uh, of course, the ball, which was wonderful. And at that time, most people didn't have uh, uh, formal uh, tuxedos and what. So uh, we thought a, an informal outing would be very good. Frank and I lived in St. Louis and attended Beer and Pretzel concert. And we thought that would be a good casual uh, form of entertainment. So... Uh, when uh, there was a big billboard on Coit with the sign saying Super Serendipitic. And it was actually, uh, with no other word, but it was actually announcing the retail center that was to be developed on that acreage uh, called Promenade. And that's where we ended up having the beer and pretzel concert. And it was an outdoor thing. Uh, jeans and casual dress, and it was a hit for several years. That's wonderful. That's, so the orchestra, you can dress up for concerts, or you can do occasions where you don't have to, you can be more casual. I think it's it's good to see all different facets of the orchestra. Frank, like Ross said, you were board chairman uh, during an important time of the orchestra. That was, uh, if it was 2000 to 2003, I believe uh, that was during the time the orchestra moved to the Eisman Center. Is that correct? Indeed, it was, uh, and 
quite a highlight from my perspective, and especially Jerry's. Jerry has been so much engaged with uh, encouraging an arts, a performing arts center uh, through the, uh, I would say, the pervision and the vision of others that felt that we were long overdue for a, uh, a proper uh, venue for the symphony and for all of the performing arts in Richardson. And under the leadership of Gary Slagle and and uh, Bill Kepler, we uh, realized that. Uh, and with the uh, support of Chuck Eisman, uh, I, I can't say enough for Chuck's leadership in bringing the community together and realizing the importance of this uh, to follow it through. So my good fortune was to have been with the board in uh, that time period when we were constructing and then opening the Eisman. And uh, for me, one of my fondest memories was the opening concert which occurred, I think it was in the uh, fall right after 9-11, a year after 9-11 it occurred, and uh, Maestro Bruslov had put together quite a quite a program. I, I frankly recall his Honors Adagio performance. It just was spectacular, and there wasn't a dry eye in the theater, I don't think. But we, that, of course, that went on to be quite the home for us, uh, for the symphony, and it was thrilling those first uh few years just to have such a place to perform and that's quite a step coming from the high school auditorium to uh, yes. the Eisman so a great memory for me and it just gave I think the orchestra an opportunity to truly to be in a place that was truly meaningful and significant where the performance or the sound of the orchestra could be felt and I think that was so important for the musicians as well as uh, myself. I agree with you it really uh created a sense of pride for the musicians on the stage, but also pride for the patrons uh, and all involved with the organization. And then as a result of that, it's pride for the community that we have this hall. Well, and the Eisman has really become, it's an icon for the city of Richardson. And this also reminds me of another occasion. We had several concerts uh, were held at the Meyerson uh, by the Richardson Symphony. And it was a great opportunity to make a statement that Richardson Symphony Orchestra could hold its own with most any. So when we thought back in those days of, gosh, we're going to perform at the Meyerson, we came close to filling it, but we didn't fill it, in fact, then knowing that someday we would have our own uh, performance hall, and the Eisman certainly fit that bill and became the icon that you described. Well, I agree with you. In a way, uh, the orchestra proved it could it could play it in a hall as nice as the, the Meyerson, and in fact, deserved its own hall. And uh, Exactly. So I think that's wonderful. I also think it's great that we have a married couple that was in the long term responsible for for the hall. Jerry on the council supporting the arts all those years had the idea of uh, wanting to have a hall. And then her husband, while board chairman, completed it to fruition. I think that's great. Well, we certainly enjoyed it. It was a great privilege, and we look back fondly on that time. Uh, I was—I wanted you to talk about, uh, Frank, something special to you. We mentioned uh, Jerry's fundraisers with the Guild, but you have a fundraiser for the orchestra that's very special, too, the Robert Burns Night. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, that, that's been a lot of fun. Back, back uh, in the early 2000s, uh, looking for ways to raise money, I was reminded of attending a number of Burns Nights uh, uh, overseas and uh, thought how much fun they were and uh, how much fun that might be if we would put together something like that in Richardson and gathered some guys of like-mindedness, put a little committee together and launched our first Burns night in, uh, oh, it's, it'll be 20 years this coming February. And of course, approached the symphony at the time, the board, and said, uh, 
we would we don't expect to make a lot of money, but we would like to associate with the symphony, and maybe together this could be something that would promote the symphony's interests as, as well as uh, just having a, a lot of fun. And so uh, for almost 20 years now, every uh, January 25th, we get together and uh, celebrate the life and times of Robert Burns and, and uh, hopefully raise a few dollars for the symphony. It, it's, it's been a lot of fun and a, and a great privilege. Frank, can you give us a little bit of context on Robert Burns Night in terms of the origin? Because you brought that back with you, and I think you know everybody would like to – I know I certainly would, would like to hear a little bit about well, what does that mean abroad, not just – well, Ross, it's, it's interesting. Uh, very quickly, a thumbnail. Uh, Robert Burns was the poet laureate in Scotland, uh, uh, lived from 1750, until uh, uh, the end of the 18th century. And shortly after that, in the early 1800s, uh, friends got together to honor his life and read his poetry and sing his songs over an air in Scotland, which essentially was his home. And it caught on. And Scots all over the the country at that time gathered to celebrate, and it developed a bit of a formal setting uh, or a program which has been repeated and added on. And as we all know, uh, the British uh, extended their presence all over the world, and with that, the Scots took their interests, and especially the celebration of Robert Burns on the 25th of January. So, golly, a couple hundred years later, so... uh, Scotsmen gather uh, all over the world for this celebration. I attended celebrations in Hong Kong and Singapore, and uh, uh, gosh, I've, of course, I've had a number of them in the Dallas area. But uh, it is a, uh, a structured evening. Uh, it was traditionally formal and men only. All of that has changed. But the formality is still there. The wearing of kilts is a, an important statement uh, about its Scottish mess, and uh, as such, it it has enabled a wonderful venue or occasion to uh, gather and uh, remember the importance of the art, in fact, for that matter, and the music of Robert Burns and what he meant to our traditions and to uh, uh, to Scotland and Britain in a broader sense. So this really is an event that's celebrated on uh, the same night all over the world. Am I? Absolutely. In fact, I recall very quickly, I went to one in Glasgow, Scotland, which was a huge, huge formal event, big long table on top of the stage and dignitaries and uh, packed house. It, it's uh, it's quite an event. Yeah. And uh, I suspect there are burn celebrations in every metropolitan area in the United States, uh, let alone cities around the world. It's certainly a fundraiser I always look forward to each each year to help, to help the orchestra. I was going to ask you guys if, if there's a particular performance. I know you mentioned the opening of the Eisman Center performance, but if, if there's a particular memorable performance or, or a work that the orchestra has, has played in the past that's, that's meaningful to either of you. I have one, recent one, in March, a program of Tchaikovsky. And Catherine Audis was the feature artist. And she had won the Eisman International Young Artist Competition in years past. Catherine, a cellist, played an exquisite interpretation of Tchaikovsky's variation on a theme for cello. It was just wonderful. And it reached me. And that's one that I remember recently. 
Thank you. Catherine was a, a real pleasure to work with. She was, uh, all of our winners of the competitions over the years have been wonderful, but but she was extra special in my opinion. She really, sometimes when a soloist comes in and plays at the level she does it, it the orchestra once supports that person so much, it just raises the, the level of everything. And I think that's some of what you uh, felt that night. Frank, is there a particular piece uh, or a concert that you want to talk about? Three pieces kind of stick out mine, Clay, and they've been performed by you. I, I believe you've done Tchaikovsky's fourth, and I believe you did his sixth symphonies uh, sometime in the past. And to me, those were statements of how far our strings have come and the ability to take on such complicated pieces of music. Uh, Beethoven's seventh, I think you did one on one occasion. Yeah, we opened a season with that. Yeah, yeah it's a few years about And and I've always enjoyed, I think it's the second movement, it's uh, the slow movement, and it was the background to the King's Speech film that came out some years ago that I thought was so dramatically uh, done. And I remember listening that evening, and, and that, that really moved me. I thought you did a spectacular job. Well, those are all great selections. You've got good taste. You, if you're a lover of Tchaikovsky and Beethoven, uh, you've got great taste, Frank. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grateful that we have a symphony capable of performing at that level. That's, that's spectacular, Clay, and it's a tribute to what uh, uh, Anshul Ruslov did to bring the symphony along and 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 put it up, uh, challenge it. And you've done nothing but build on that, and and where they are today is is quite impressive. I I would submit our symphony right now has to be right up there among the best in the regional symphonies, certainly uh, around Texas and. When it comes to symphonies of our kind and type, uh, the Richardson Symphony just has to be right up there. Excellent. Well, folks, thank you so much for taking time out of your day uh, to spend with uh, Maestro Cattorio, myself, and the rest of our listeners. I know how much you support the symphony, how involved you've been uh, in its, not just its formation, but its growth and uh, helping lead uh, the symphony to... Uh, its level of standard of where it is today. So thank you on behalf of all of us. Yes, and on, on behalf of the organization itself, just thank you for all that you've done for for the orchestra. It's uh, it, We wouldn't be here without your contribution. I've enjoyed talking to you both today also, and uh, I look forward to seeing you at, at a concert when we do have our next concert. Well, we look forward to seeing you and meeting Ross, and thank you so much for listening. Our next guest is Bonnie Perry, and she is a former executive director and board chair of, of the orchestra. Bonnie, how are you today? I am good, thank you. Very good. Thanks for being a part of this. Just wanted to start off by asking you, what was your first business with the orchestra? What, how did you come to know the, the Richardson Symphony Orchestra? Well, my husband and family and I moved to Richardson. Some people talk to me and ask me about uh, uh, asked me about the Richardson Symphony and about attending it, so I did, and we bought tickets for it. Really, really liked it and enjoyed it and brought a lot of other people to the concerts who were friends of mine. And we came as a group and uh, then we would either go to the reception afterwards that the symphony had or we would go out to eat if the symphony wasn't having a reception. Most of the time they did. And so that's how I got involved. Are you original from Richardson? No, no. I'm originally from Mississippi. We were transferred there from Lafayette, Louisiana. My husband was an account executive with DuPont. And so we moved from Lafayette, Louisiana to uh, Richardson, Texas. 
And Bonnie, do you have a, a, a particular concert or a favorite work that the orchestra performed? My favorite concert is not going to be Pacific One. It was always the first concert of the season. And the reason for that is because is everyone is so excited about being back, about seeing each other. The other thing was my favorite event was when Angel came as conductor. I was executive director when Angel was there. And so when he came as conductor, he was excited. And, of course, we were excited that he came to our orchestra. Angel was excited because he thought the orchestra was excellent. And he was excited to come to Richardson and to get involved in that way. It all centered on the fact that the people who were board members were excited about our conductor. The community was excited about our conductor, and Asher was excited. So out of that came a lot of events and things that we did, all types of events. And the reputation of the orchestra also helped with the funding. And Asher being there helped with the funding. Um, what stands out in your mind? It's interesting that people would uh, invite us to have events in their home. The Symphony League also was very important at that time. And when we would do the, you know, when we would work with the Symphony League into their fundraiser and that kind of thing, and the Deb. Uh, and so it was just lots and lots of things that went on. We stayed busy most of the time with events from the symphony. And uh, how about soloists with the orchestra? Do you have any uh, recollection of any particular soloist that you worked with uh, that was special? We had some pop concerts, and one of the groups was a group that had Doug Lebrecht. There were three of them there. It was a pop concert, and Doug and I had remained friends after all these years. And I hear from him, and he texts me or calls me, and and so I formed some friendships that have lasted all this time. Certainly. Doug Lebrecht was an audience favorite. And I remember actually that he, he was brought back several times, probably during your tenure. He was brought back. Yes, he was. <laughs> and not for the same types of concerts. I remember there were holiday concerts, but also some uh, more Broadway style concerts. And he, he was... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Very good. Bonnie, thank you so much for spending time with us this afternoon. Thank you so much. You all are my pleasure to introduce our next guest, Peggy Tucker, who's been a longtime musician in the orchestra. She plays viola. Welcome, Peggy. Hi, Clay. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, uh, Peggy, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, about your background in music. All right. Well, I'm originally from Austin, Texas, and I went to the University of North Texas when I was 18 because of the music school uh, with Angel Brusilov as conductor, and George Pavage, the viola professor there, and that's what drew me to North Texas. So I received my bachelor's of music ed- education and my master's of music education there, and I was an orchestra director uh, elementary through high school uh, at Richardson ISD, GISD, Garland, and uh, retired from Highland Park ISD. And I was at Highland Park High School. That was my last teaching position. I taught private lessons for a while there when my kids were being raised. Mm-hmm. And I was a freelance, um, I'm a freelance, been a freelance musician with the Dallas Ballet and the Sound Musicals. And, and I've lived in Richardson basically since 1982 when I joined the orchestra, right from when I graduated. Um, Bill Lewis, uh, I, I heard that he played concertmaster with the Richardson Symphony, and I said, well, I have a job with the Richardson Symphony, I mean, Richardson School District, and I'm really interested. I've heard so many good things about the orchestra. I'd really like to play with the orchestra. So he told Chris Zeros, and here I am. That's How many wonderful. years later? <laughs> yeah. Well, we won't count, but that's good. That's good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. tell me, 
a little bit about, you know, being a member of the orchestra, uh, some of the behind the scenes that our listeners may or may not know that, that musicians deal with. Well, I'll start with some funny memories, just rehearsing. It, I mean, it, it's, it's so much fun. I, I just want to tell people out there, it's just so much fun. And I love playing in Richardson. Um, but the, we're all friends. We've all played together. And it's not only just a musical experience. It's a, a personal experience. And so when we're in rehearsals and, you know, like, we're all laughing and everything. And we were at Richardson High School. And this was back, you know, before the Eisman. And it, during, it was a Christmas concert. And the uh, but the con- it wasn't a concert, it was a rehearsal. And the fire alarm went off. Bah, in bah, the high school. Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm not kidding. In the high school. And it's a Saturday morning. How do we find somebody to turn this thing off? It's so loud and we're trying to rehearse. Oh, right. Because so, you would have been the only ones in the rehearsal hall at the at the time if it was a Saturday morning. Yes. So, of course, musicians being musicians, we are going to make the best of it. And, of course, the bass section, led by Jeff Bratitich, starts playing jingle bells to this fire alarm. And it started, then the whole orchestra got in on it with different keys, different instruments. And it sounded like this whole rendition of a Tim Burton jingle bells by the end of it. And so we had a good laugh. And by the time it was all over... They had found a janitor to turn off the fire alarm. But <laughs> these are just things that happen in rehearsal and we make the best of it. Yeah, that's making the most of a situation for sure. Yes. <laughs> How yes. about uh, some more memorable uh, performances or particular works that you enjoy playing with the orchestra? Well, I would say some memorable performances for me. I'm going to do this with the three directors, sure. the three different orchestra directors from the because it was hard to pick because they're all, it's all so wonderful. And, and I'm serious. I'm not just saying that. Uh, with Chris, uh, we played with Roberta Peters and I grew up listening to Roberta Peters. That was my mother's favorite soprano. Mm-hmm. So I had a little fandom, you know, when I played along with her as a young musician. And then uh, when John Browning, the pianist, we played concert concerto with him. And what I found interesting, and this was before he brought his little dog, and this is before the Paris Hilton thing, and everybody brought their dogs everywhere. <laughs> this was before that. And I remember arriving to rehearsal, um, and this was at the Eisman, and there was this little little Fifi dog running around all over the stage. And I said, what is this? There's a dog on the stage. And somebody said, it's John Browning's dog. <laughs> Dogs running all over the place. And then when it was time to sit down and rehearse, the dog ran into his little carry-on, and that was that. But that was funny because. It wouldn't be funny now, but it was then because nobody brought their dog. And I had never seen a concert pianist travel with his dog, but I guess it made sense. And then um, with Anshul Brusilov, uh playing the Beethoven Symphony 9, number nine with him, I played it three different times. And it was just as great every time mm-hmm. and playing the Dvorak New World with him. And then with with Maestro Couturio, I'm going to say my favorite concert with you Believe it or not, it was the Delius, you know, the, the May 4th concert last year, the Delius and the Greek Piano Concerto and the Shostakovich Five. That was the season finale, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was just, oh my gosh, it was just epic. It was so beautiful. And the program, it was so perfect. And, uh, and then I had a personal favorite with you also because I got to play the solo on the block, Concerto Grosso. So it was 
as personal That's favorite because right. I got to play it solo. <laughs> that was that, and the block that was the concert we played uh, and and showed off members of the orchestra. Um, oh uh, yes, with the different pieces on that particular program. So that, yes, that was great. Yes, and then you know, of course, favorites. I have favorites with the um, pops. There's pops favorites like. Um, Oh, when we played with Bruce Hornsby and the rain went, remember when those guest artists, used to, we used to play at Wildflower, the Richardson yes. Symphony played at the Wildflower. And we played with Electric Light Orchestra and we played with the Beatles group and we played with um, Bruce Hornsby in the rain. And he, I remember he, he came in, his band was great and he rehearsed us. He didn't, for the audience, usually behind the scenes, when, when we play with a big artist or pop group like that, their conductor rehearses the orchestra, not not our conductor, mm-hmm. but the, their conductor rehearses. And usually the talent, the main performer, is not there yes. for the first part of the rehearsals. And I don't know if people know that. And they're always, my friends are always really interested and kind of surprised that they're not there. And sometimes the main performer, like a pop performer, is not out there until the actual show. We don't even see them until we start playing with them there conductor has got set the tempos and rehearsed us and all and and we played with bruce hornsby and he stayed in the rehearsal which was unusual very unusual it was and he was asking for feedback and all of this and that was kind of fun but he said something and he finally said i said well i'd like something with a few more notes because he asked us so i i told him and he said you want more things with notes well we didn't know how hard to make the music because they thought of us People would come into Richardson and think we were a community orchestra. So that was a real interesting eye-opener to watch from them from the first hand. And then he, they just started sending, you know, passing out harder charts. And then Linda Proach got upset with me. She said, so you're the one who asked for that. And we played this from the violin. That's really hard to lick. Careful what you asked for, right? Yeah. I, know, I said, yeah, but then the viola's got something beyond whole notes and half notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of, of Linda, you mentioned I, I, one thing I wanted you to talk about was since you've been had such a long tenure with the orchestra, talk about some of the relationships with some of the musicians over that entire time. Is there any, any particular memories with with musicians of the orchestra? The Richardson. Well, I played I played with the Richardson String Quartet and they, they we we have run out jobs where we play for the Alamo Draft House and we played for. Oh, we played for the Beaujolais Bash and the Lennox at Christmas time, holiday time. Uh, when uh, corporate sponsors gave to us, they would send out the, the, the quartet and we'd go play. And the quartet members for many years were me and uh, Beth Conway. She's no longer with the orchestra, but she was in the orchestra for years. She plays the cello. Mm-hmm. And um, then Nancy Missouri, she was with the orchestra for many years, but she moved. Wonderful a violinist, years ago. yeah. Yeah, excellent violinist. She was sitting at the front of the violins. Beth always sat on the front stand for those for patrons, if you uh, remember. And then Linda Proach and the four of us became such good friends. And um, as I said, not only just playing music together, but just, uh, you know, knowing going to our children's weddings and our children babysitting. (laughs) Nancy's children babysat for my children. And it becomes um, we become so close. And then just uh, the relationships within the sections. There's a lot of teachers, a lot of performers. We can we talk to each other about classes or classroom management. If we're classroom teachers or pedagogy, 
and uh, just it's so enriching beyond just playing in the symphony. We we learn so much from each other just outside of even just playing. In many ways, um, it's like you're a family and you grow up together. Oh, it's definitely a family. Oh, yeah. It's very tight. I, mm-hmm. It's well, to me, it's the law. Lo- it's the thing I've done longest in this life. It's kind of weird, but think it's the thing I've done longest in my lifetime um, outside of anything else. I mean, it's the longest job I've ever held. I mean, I was 23 when I started in the symphony. So why do you love playing in the orchestra? What is it about playing? What about what is it about playing in an orchestra that is the most meaningful to you? Making music with my friends and making music for the audience and creating something where we all have to give of ourselves and make it all happen. And that's what when I started playing the viola when I was in sixth grade, you know, with the because uh, I started in Texas. So I started, you know, with the, the public school orchestra program and I've been playing piano. But viola, um, I loved making music with other people. And I loved the idea. Just, I was just hooked with this, this collaboration with everyone, this unspoken communication, nonverbal communication where you have to create. And it's just the greatest feeling to be performing where, you know, where like Clay has been rehearsing us. And then the, the concert comes and it, to me, that it excites. I'm just totally hooked to the adrenaline rush of making everything happen at the performance, and also it making the magic happens because the adrenaline is what makes the magic happens. You've done all your practice, you've done all your rehearsing as much as you can do, then you create with all these people with you on the stage, and you feed off of each other. I always felt like you can feed off of each other in that regard. You can, there is there is a certain sense of, uh, for a better word, magic that uh, it is that you that you've worked together with. And it does come across for me. The rehearsal is, is a a great part of that. And then the concert we've already, we've done all the work. The concert is the concert. It's, it's the culmination of all that. And if we, if we've rehearsed the right way, then the concert should, should should just happen. You don't have to think about it too much. The culmination of your craft. Yes. And the, and the, the connecting with the other individuals, the other people on stage it's just it's just the greatest. You know, when I get a new stand partner or if I sit with somebody, I don't know if I arrive to a gig and I don't know the three people I'm playing with. Like if I'm playing a string quartet, which happens to some of us. I mean, Clay will still, you know, Clay, I think, you know, when you go arrive to a string quartet gig and I mean, the chances of us not knowing somebody is nil right now. But <laughs> if it were if we were, you know, each other very, very quickly because you have to immediately start creating with these people and you can't put up any falsehoods or any, you have to start immediately working with one another and take down all walls. And, and um, so when an orchestra, when you play together for a long time, you don't have to do those introductions, those format formalities and getting used to being with one another. You are, have been with one another and you can dig deeper into those emotions to bring more out into the orchestra. If you know what I mean. The more you play together, the more you learn about each other and you learn uh, the other musicians tendencies and, and what, what they do well and what you can work with, work off of them with and things of that nature. And you, you bring out the best of each other for sure. Yes. I like to tell friends of mine because everybody knows sports and we're all, you know, like the Dallas Cowboy fans and all that. And uh, years ago I started using the analogy because, Well, I think it was my father, actually. He thought he loved that I was a musician, but he was not a musician. He didn't really understand. He tried to understand the conductor. 
And I said, well, the conductor is kind of like the coach. It, do, it doesn't necessarily look like the coach is doing anything on the sideline, but they, they've done all their work in practice. And the quarterback's kind of like the concert master. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I start using those analogies and people go, oh, OK, I, OK, I get it. It's very true. The players play. You've got to have players. And the, the coach or conductor does their job. And uh, it just that's how it works. That's how it comes across. And it's very psychological, too, because it can yes. go one way or the other with that. And uh, that's one thing I've always enjoyed about our orchestra is people have always tried to build each other up and uh, not to go. Well, I will. I'll go back to the family atmosphere. And, and you know, there are times a family uh, needs each other and, and to, to help each other. And, it, yes. you know, performing is a difficult art. It's hard enough as it is. So anything we can do to equip others to, to do their best, we, we, we pro- really try to do. And that's reflected in the level of performance. Uh, we've the consistent theme that we've been talking about today is how much of a uh, jewel in the, the crown of the city of Richardson that the RSO is. And, and yep. I think that's reflected not only in the leadership, but the performances and the performers and, and the musicians. I would really hope that statement you just made that everyone out there listening really, really pays attention to that because it is a jewel. It is, it's very unique. What we, this symphony is, it has the feel of a community, but it's the level of a professional orchestra. And, and, you know, if we played as much as the DSO or Fort Worth, that the level of musicianship is, is very, is, is outstanding. And, and everybody always wants to play with, with Richardson. They always do. Peggy, is there anything else that you would like to, to share? I mean, I, we could probably talk for hours and have hundreds of stories, but. I had my daughter be a symphony dad and uh, the outreach and everything that Richardson does, Richardson symphony does for the community. Um, I've played with the, uh, for the, the symphony days concerts. And we I go in and, we go in and play for the third graders and they, and it's a wonderful, wonderful outreach. And these third graders are so excited to hear the orchestra and then just offering this program that helps the symphony, having the symphony devs and honor guards where they find out how an arts organization works. But what I found out as a parent, and I didn't know as a musician is that these devs don't only do volunteer work and raise money for the orchestra, but they went out and did volunteer work in the community, not just with the orchestra. And um, I was really impressed. It's just such an impressive organization. I also want to say that we, we work hard. We have a lot of laughs. But, you know, at the end of the day, we, we really work hard. But the musicians, they want to play well. And they and we're, even though we're adults, we, we want to play well for our conductor. We want to do well. We want to do what he asks of us because we trust in his musical expertise to lead us in a beautiful performance. And I think that shows. Well, thank you. I'm glad. If there are no final thoughts, uh, Peggy, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us this afternoon. Uh, You're welcome. It was my pleasure. It was. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, truly yeah. enjoyed uh, listening to you and talking to you. And I really, really hope to see you sooner rather than later so we can make music again. Yes, I agree. Next episode, Maestro Cotorio and I share stories with former board members LaRuth and Richard Morrow, RSO board member Manasseh Durkin, and former RSO concertmaster Phil Lewis. 
I want to remind everyone that tickets are available at the Eisman Center Ticket Office and on their website at EismanCenter.com. Maestro, thank you. It's always great to chat with you. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to Portraits and Music with Maestro Clay Cattorio. I'm your producer and co-host, Ross Sievertson. Remember, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button so you can get new episodes downloaded to you automatically. Reviews and ratings are always appreciated, and it helps us to provide you with more great inside conversations from the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. Until next time.